Okay, so good afternoon, everybody. So uh, for this afternoon's class, we're going to talk about the fifth commandment, which is thou shall not kill. So this is the outline of our class. It seems pretty heavy, uh, but very practical. We have first the topic of you shall not kill and then respect for human life. We will talk about intentional suicide, abortion. I think this is wrong. Intentional homicide. And then abortion, euthanasia, suicide, legitimate defense, and the death penalty. And then we move on to respect for the dignity of the human person and the respect for the soul of one's neighbor and respect for the body's health. Um, under this, we talk about organ transplants. And then we go to respect for physical freedom, for bodily integrity, and then the respect for the dead. And then lastly, safeguarding peace. Man is the only creature on earth that God has loved for its own sake. What does that mean? Uh, for the sake of man, African-Americans are not lower in status than a white uh, Protestant, white American, Anglo-Saxon, no? or, or that yellow people like, like us from, from Asia are equal to the people in Europe or in America, because we have all been created in the image and likeness of God. So the book of Genesis presents the assault on human life as the consequence of original sin. Yahweh, in the Our Father, which is the prayer that God left us, Christ links his forgiveness, pardon for the transgressions we have committed, to our pardon for those who have offended us. Forgive us our sins as we have for, as we forgive the others. So we will be helped in this struggle by the contemplation of the passion of our Lord, who pardoned and redeemed us by bearing with love and patience his unjust treatment. So we should also keep in mind that a Christian should never see anyone as an alien or an enemy, and that we will be judged after death according to our love for our neighbor. Christians are asked to overcome evil with good and to see insults as an opportunity for our own purification. Uh, the fifth commandment forbids direct and intentional killing as gravely in full. So the murderer and those who cooperate voluntarily in murder commit a sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance. So the Pope, in his encyclical Evangelium Vitae, has set forth in a definitive and infallible way the following rule. By the authority which Christ conferred upon Peter and his successors, and in communion with the bishops of the Catholic Church, I confirm that the direct 
and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. So this doctrine is based upon that unwritten law which man, in the light of reason, finds in his own heart and which is reaffirmed by sacred scripture, transmitted by the tradition of the church, and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. So we all know that to kill is, um, is a sin, is very bad. We know that in our heart. No? Even if we did not attend any doctrine class, but somebody who lives in the mountains in China knows that to kill somebody is bad. He knows it in his heart. So that's homicide is without exception gravely immoral if it is an act resulting from a deliberate decision and directed to an innocent person. The fact that God has entrusted human life into our hands calls for an attitude of love and service and not of arbitrary dominion because God alone is the master of human life. So who are the, this, who are these humans that God has entrusted into our hands? I think uh, very clearly these are the children that he has sent us. So he has entrusted um, our children to us and he has, he has asked us to love them and to serve them and to bring them up so that they will go back to God at the end of their lives. They are there for, not to, for us not to, not to order around or to decide uh, their lives, their lives uh, for them. Because we are not the owners of our children. God, God is their master. And he alone is the master of all human life. So next, we go to abortion. Human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. So direct abortion, that is abortion willed as an end or as a means, always constitutes a grave moral disorder since it is the deliberate killing of an innocent human being. No circumstance, no purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make, an, make licit an act which is intrinsically illicit. Since it is contrary to the law of God, which is written in every human heart, knowable by reason itself, and proclaimed by the church. So the respect for life must be recognized as the boundary that no activity on the part of an individual or a government can cross. The inalienable right of every innocent human person of life is a 
constitutive element of a civil society and its legislation and as such must be respected by both society as a whole and the political authority. So the right to command is required by the moral order and has its source in God. So it follows that if civil authority legislate for or allow anything that is contrary to that order and therefore contrary to the will of God, neither the laws made nor the authorizations granted can be binding on the consciences of the citizens. Because otherwise, authority will break down completely and the and result in shameful abuse. So there is no obligation in conscience to obey such laws. Instead, there is a grave and clear obligation to oppose them by consensus objection, since it must be treated from conception as a person. The embryo must be defended in its integrity, cared for, and healed as far as possible like any other human being. So we see uh, this example, I think, in the U.S. where pro-life groups have um, exercised fortitude in trying to reverse the legalization of abortion in the U.S. And it has taken them several decades but they have been very uh, uh, persevering in trying to to right this wrong you know, of uh, allowing legalizing abortion and uh, it has taken the election of donald trump maybe to help this um, to help this initiative because uh, with the election of Donald Trump, uh, well, he was able to, to nominate justices to the Supreme Court who are more pro-life. And now maybe very soon, um, Roe versus Wade might be reversed and the right to, to decide on what the state um, policy will be on abortion will go back to to the states to each of the states and will not be decided upon by the federal government and then we go to euthanasia so euthanasia in the strict sense is understood to be an action or omission which of itself and by intention causes death so there, it's an action or omission of action, which by itself and by intention can cause death. With the purpose of eliminating all suffering, euthanasia is a grave violation of the law of God since it is the deliberate and morally unacceptable killing of a human person. So depending on the circumstances, this practice involves the malice proper to suicide or murder. So gravely opposed to the dignity of the human person, 
euthanasia is one of the consequences that hedonism and the loss of the Christian sense of suffering can lead to. So why do they like to die? Mm. Why do they want to choose to end their life? B, they're suffering for um, a very painful illness and they want it to end already. So they decide to be euthanized. So discontinuing medical procedures that are burdensome, dangerous, extraordinary, or disproportionate to the expected outcome can be legitimate. So it is the refusal of overzealous treatment. Here, one does not will to cause death. One's inability to stop it is merely accepted. So nevertheless, even if that is thought to be imminent, the ordinary care owed to a sick person cannot be legitimately interrupted. Artificial nutrition and hydration are, in principle, ordinary care owed to all the sick. Okay. So we have the obligation to still give them nutrition and hydration because that's the minimum that a human being needs to continue on living. Um, you can remove maybe all the other machines, um, but you should continue to give them nutrition and hydration. Uh, you see this very clearly in the ICU, ICUs. Um, well, somebody is maybe in a coma or brain dead, and the co and the family decides to remove all extraordinary means or equipment that is keeping the person alive. So you stop maybe all the. I think you can stop the ventilator and um, other equipment, but there should still be hydration. So maybe that is delivered through the, the, the IV, nutrition and, and, and water. And then we go to suicide. So we are stewards, not owners of the life God has entrusted to us. It, it, it is not ours to dispose of. Because we do not own it. We are just its steward. Suicide contradicts the natural inclination of the human being to preserve and perpetuate his life. It is gravely contrary to the just love of self. So there's a just love of self. no? So it likewise offends love of neighbor because it unjustly breaks the rights of solidarity with family, nation, and other human societies to which we continue to have obligations. Suicide is contrary to the love, to love for the living God. To choose to die, to save the life of someone else is not suicide. On the contrary, it can be an act of the utmost charity. So in the movies, you see maybe a grenade is thrown and one of the soldiers uh, leaps to cover the grenade. So when he does that, he's 
will most surely die. But his action may, may, may help no? his, the soldiers around him to survive. And then I suppose you've heard also the story of that man. I just forgot. He's, already, he's also a saint now. Of that priest in uh, one of the concentration camps. He volunteered to take the place of one of the prisoners who was going to be killed because um, he said, I will take his place because he has a family. And then we go now to legitimate defense. So the prohibition against causing anyone's death does not suppress the right to prevent and just aggressor from causing injury. Legitimate defense can also be a grave duty for someone responsible for the life of another person or for the common good. So I think a very clear example right now for us is the Ukraine war where the Ukrainians are ex what, exercising legitimate defense of their country, of their people, and of their cultures. So they are there in the war, killing and just aggressors, um, causing them injury and uh, also death. So that is a legitimate defense, and that is allowed. Then we go to death penalty, death penalty. So defending the common good requires rendering an aggressor unable to do harm. Therefore, the legitimate authority can impose punishment commensurate with the gravity of the crime committed. So what is the aim of punishments? It is to compensate for the disorder caused by the offense to ensure public order and the security of persons. And then lastly, also to correct a guilty person. So in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we read, recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. So for them at the time, it was a means of safeguarding the common good. No? Because if somebody is a, what, is a serial killer, then you have to punish that person or remove him from society. And then maybe, in addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. So lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens. But at which at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church, our church, teaches in the light of the gospel 
the death penalty is inadmissible because it's an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. So these are the words of Pope, Pope Francis in October 2017 in an address to participants in the meeting organized by the Pontifical Council for the promotion of the new evangelization. So there's been a shift in how mm, the church or even people in the church views death penalty. With the advances in technology, in the penal system, and also maybe in the understanding of human nature, there's been a shift in how the church views death penalty. They're saying that even a criminal, no, a serial killer, does not lose his dignity as a person. So they separate the person from the acts of that person. So the dignity of the person remains there because that person still is an image of, of, of God who created him. And now there are more... Uh, there are more measures available in order to safeguard society from a very bad person. So now we go to the respect for the soul of one's neighbor. So before we went to respect for life, now we go to respect for soul of our neighbor. Or... We aim not to cause scandal. That is to take care and to show respect for the soul of our neighbor. It's not to cause a scandal. Christians have the duty to safeguard the life and supernatural health of their neighbor's soul and body. In contrast, a scandal is an attitude or behavior which leads another to do evil. The person who gives scandal becomes his neighbor's tempter. Scandal is a grave offense if by deed or omission another is deliberately led into a grave offense. So scandal can be caused by unjust comments, by promoting immoral shows, books and magazines, by a modest dress. No? Scandal takes on a particular gravity by reason of the authority of those who cause it or the weakness of those who are scandalized. So whoever causes one, we read no, in the gospel, whoever causes one, these are words of Jesus Christ. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great, great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I wonder if... <laughs> um, when we go to mass in the morning, we're driving. My husband would comment in the outfit of 
of all the of all the ladies who are out there walking or exercising. <laughs> and then we go now to ah, respect for for the body's health. No, so earlier we had respect for the body's soul. Now we have respect for the body's health. So bodily life is not an absolute value. Christian morality is opposed to a neo-pagan conception that fosters the cult of the body and can lead to perverting human relationships. So the virtue of temperance disposes us to avoid every kind of excess, the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine, those incur grave guilt who, by drunkenness or a love of speed, endanger their own and other safety on the road, at sea, or in the air. So it's saying here, it's the excess. No, It's not food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine. Per se, it's not bad. But the abuse of those things or to uh, use them in excess, that is what can be a problem. So the use of drugs is a grave offense because of the harm it can do to one's health and the loss of responsibility in acts accomplished under their influence. So clandestine production and traffic of drugs are immoral activities. When we listen to the news, if we still do, or if we uh, read the papers, especially the, tab the tabloids, you will be shocked with, uh, with the news that they have there, no? with the uh, uh, vileness or extreme hardship. No? that some people create for other people. Um, you, you will say, how can they do that? Parang hindi na tao. Um, precisely, hindi na nga tao because illegal drugs have uh, corrupted their, their mind or have made them act outside of their human, human sphere. Because somebody who is in his uh, right mind will not be able to do um, the, the, the killings that we see in the papers or in the news sometimes. It's very he news. So scientific research cannot justify acts that in themselves are contrary to the dignity of the human person and the moral law. So no human being can be treated as a means for the progress of science. So this principle is transgressed by practices of substitute artificial procreation or the use of embryos for experimental purposes. So we see in where? During, the world, during world War II, the Germans uh, used the Jews as uh, well, guinea pigs no, for their experiments. 
So that is very wrong because no human being should be treated that way. Uh, so now we go here to this specific topic, um, or organ transplant. Giving organs as transplants is licit, it's allowed, and can be an act of charity if the donation is without constraint and free, and if it is arranged in a just and charitable way. So a person can donate an organ only if it involves no serious danger of harm for his own life or personal identity and for a just and proportionate reason. As an obvious consequence, vital organs can be donated only after death. So it is necessary for the donor or his representatives to give their informed consent. This donation, although allowed in itself, can become illicit if it violates the rights and feelings of third parties responsible for the guardianship of the body of the person making the donation. Close relatives in the first place, but this may also include other people by virtue of public or private rights. And then we go to physical freedom and bodily integrity. So kidnapping and hostage taking are morally illicit. They involve treating persons merely as means to obtaining some end, depriving them unjustly of their freedom. So terrorism and torture gravely violate justice and charity as well. And then except when performed for strictly therapeutic medical reasons, directly intended amputations, mutilations, and sterilizations performed on innocent persons are against the moral law. How about tattoo? <laughs> That's what, how do you call that? Mutilations? I don't know. But it seems that it's the... It's the in thing now. People get all tattoo all over their body. And then here I have respect for the dead. So the bodies of the dead must be treated with respect and charity in faith and hope of the resurrection. So that is the reason why we show respect for the dead because our faith teaches us that the body will resurrect again during the second coming of our Lord. So it is so important that the burial of the dead is a choral work of mercy. It honors the children of God who are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So the church strongly advises maintaining the pious custom of burying the body of the dead. However, it does not forbid cremation provided it has not been chosen for reasons contrary to Christian doctrine. Before the church really encouraged burial um, of the body you know, because they wanted to teach, to emphasize 
the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. Um, but now it seems that um, it's pretty ingrained in Christians. And so to choose to cremate the dead is not to necessarily <clears throat> go against uh, the teaching of the resurrection of the body. Safeguarding peace. No? So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So a characteristic of the spirit of divine filiation is to be sowers of peace and joy. So, so there, <laughs> mothers, if you notice that you're already uh, what <clears throat> getting cranky um, with a frown on your face all the time, shouting at your children or your spouse, then maybe it's time for you to visit the confessional or look for a quiet place so you can talk to our Lord because you are a sower of peace and joy if there is that spirit of divine filiation. So if, if peace and joy is, is wanting, then something must be amiss. So peace cannot be attained on earth without safeguarding the good of persons, free communication among men, respect for the dignity of persons and peoples, and the assiduous practice of fraternity. Peace is the work of justice and the effect of charity. So because of the evils and injustices that accompany all war, the church insistently urges everyone to prayer and to action so that the divine goodness may free us from the ancient bondage of war. So there can be a need for legitimate defense by military force. However, the gravity of such a decision makes it subject to rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy. So injustice, excessive economic or social inequalities, envy, distrust, and pride raging among men and nations constantly threaten peace and cause wars. Everything done to overcome these disorders contributes to building up peace and avoiding war. So love your own country. It is a Christian to be patriotic. But if patriotism becomes nationalism, which leads you to look at other people, at other countries with indifference, with scorn, without Christian charity and justice, then it is a sin.